In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. This is the I Spy Radio Show. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Keeping an eye on big government. We the people tell the government what to do. It doesn't tell us. The trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. And now, here is your host, Mark Anderson. Imagine you run a business, say a convention center. Most of your revenues come from businesses who showcase their goods and services, and you also get nearly as much from admission fees, people paying to be there. But a significant amount of money also comes from your excellent restaurant. You have access to nearby farms who happily sell you literally farm-fresh meat, eggs, dairy, and produce. You have a great couple of chefs, and people love the food, and they pay a good price for it. But then, one day, you hire a new manager who has some sort of weird phobia about food. You can't eat meat, and vegetables are sentient beings. So they decide, you know what, instead of selling food, we should pay people not to eat it. And the food just sort of piles up and rots, and gets thrown out in the trash. Of course, this decision impacts your other revenue streams. Now the money from businesses and attendees has to pay people not to eat the food, and pay for the food itself that is rotting. So food that used to add to the profits is now eating into the profits. Plus, you still have your own expenses, utilities, and the mortgage, and your own workers. So naturally, you now have to raise prices on those businesses and attendees to make up for the money that you used to make from selling food. And if that makes no sense, well, guess what? That is what the state of Oregon wanted to do with the Elliott State Research Forest and is still trying to do with some 60% of all of its state forests through the Habitat Conservation Plan. Instead of making money for the state by selling timber, the current weird little Democrat managers want to let the trees just pile up and rot and pay people to watch it rot. That was the essence of the Elliott State Research Forest Plan. Don't harvest it, just study it. And it's the exact same, or even worse, for the Habitat Conservation Plan that ties up hundreds of thousands of forest acres that they want to take offline for 70 years. Instead of making billions and billions from Oregon's highly productive forest for the state revenues and the school fund, which by law they're supposed to, they want to let it all sit, rot, or catch fire and spend hundreds of millions of dollars instead to fight fires that will inevitably happen and raise taxes and other fees on you and your businesses to make up for the money that they should be making from selling timber. Last week, we talked about free speech and the censorship already happening. Free speech continues to be the number one issue in 2024, and the number two, or maybe number 1A, is getting people involved, public outcry. And that is a particular focus of this week's show because it has worked. We have seen that recently, but we can't stop. Winning some victories does not mean that you won the war. And government is getting more out of control because too many people have stayed silent for too long. We are literally on the cusp of losing many of our sacred rights because government has reverted to thinking that they own the rights and they may or may not allow you to use them. They wouldn't be doing what they're doing if they knew they'd get in trouble, if they knew enough people would speak up rather than be silent. They do it because they believe you'll stay silent. And so far, that is too right too often. And it's so much more than keeping an eye on big government because now government is keeping an eye on you more than ever. We have some news and more insight into Oregon's election censorship program, their MDM program, 
to track, monitor, and censor whatever the Democrats in charge deem to be mis-, dis-, or malinformation about the elections. In fact, you'll hear today how they believe exposing the censorship during elections is itself a threat. Go figure. So stay tuned for that. But first, I'd like to welcome Jennifer Hammaker back to the show. She grew up in a family with long ties to natural resources and saw all too often how the state seems to punish such industries despite society needing natural resources. She is now the president of Honorary, that's O-N-R-I, for Oregon Natural Resource Industries. Jen, it is great to talk to you again. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you know, what I just mentioned there has never made any sense to me. That society needs natural resources. We need farming. We need fishing. We need timber for houses and paper and so many other uses in society. Uh, We need mining, without which computers and modern technology would not exist. And yet the federal and especially Oregon state government are constantly at odds with natural resources. Did your family ever look at that and and discuss that side of things and, and how crazy that whole dichotomy was and is? Absolutely, we did. We we continued to do so even though we sold uh, our sawmill and our uh, timberland that went along with the sawmill um, back in 2021 because, uh, in large part, because of what we're seeing, because of what we're experiencing in Oregon. The environmental groups have held Oregon hostage for decades, and the state is aligning with them and has aligned with them, and we didn't see it getting any better, and we were right. Hmm. Well, I know that you're not the only one to have to sell sawmills. I know that there's one up in Flomath, I think it was, that just closed down, and uh, they're hoping to reopen it at some point. But uh, we are literally in a hostile work environment here that has been created by the state when it comes to natural uh, resources. You know, we're into a new year with you. We know we're picking up listeners all the time. And uh, so tell our audience a bit about Henri. What, what do you guys do? Yes. So first of all, I want to go back real quick to the sawmills. There's been three mills that have closed down in the last one month, Mm. the last 30 days, three Mm. mills have closed down in the state of Oregon, one in Springfield, Roseboro, uh, the Hampton up in Banks, and uh, and then Interfor in Philomath. And those mills are specific to those areas because they they mill the specific lumber that's brought to them within those forests. Mm. And so, oh, people say, oh, well, the mill shut down. It's important that that those mills keep operating because it is those it is those forests that have certain uh, types of trees and also certain um, ages of trees that they are they are tooled those mills are tooled to accept and mill into lumber and now what we're seeing is these mills are closing down um, because log prices timber prices are uh, extremely high because we keep on closing our timberland down. So every log is worth more. And the prices for lumber, the milled wood, is is down. And mm. so the, they, they're not being able to make any money on this, and so they have to close. Mm. So <laughs> about Henri. So Henri is Oregon Natural Resource Industries. Um, we are a 501c6. Our mission statement is to protect, defend, support natural resource jobs, families, communities, and businesses. And, uh, and that's exactly what we do every single day. We are a volunteer board. And um, just recently, we had a big ice storm come through Oregon. Uh, I think we dispatched right close to maybe a little over 20 crews to go out and help people get out of their driveways, yeah, shut down the trees, bring them water. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, even though it's a desperate situation, it sure is rewarding. And 
to get people water that haven't had water for three days or, you know, gas, um, stuff like that. It's, it's, um, we don't get paid to do this job, but we get rewarded significantly. Well, uh, hats off to you guys for all the hard work that you guys do. And, uh, it's really cool that you're out there supporting families, uh, when they need it. And, uh, so, um, a lot of what we're going to be talking about today are some updates and we'll talk, um, in depth about wind farms in the next segment, but a, a big portion of what we had talked about last time was the governor's plans for a carbon credit scheme. Do you have any updates on that real quick? Uh, no, I'm hearing whispers in the background of some, um, you know, not very savory characters wanting, um, really wanting to pursue the carbon credits. Uh, as it's explained in the documentation at OSU and for the Elliott Forest and stuff like this, uh, Jeff Huntington, who is an environmental lawyer, he worked for the um, Oregon State University. He was the um, head of the forestry department there, um, and he's no longer there. They fired him. Uh, but he is working as Cotex natural resource guru, and wow. he is really pushing the carbon credits. And I'm not exactly sure why. Uh, not enough to because know. There is not enough to Boku money to be yep. made off of it. I'm sure that's that's the entire reason why he's involved in that. Okay, uh, we are up against break. Everyone stay with us. When it comes to fighting back against big government, there is no end of battles. But the most important weapon that you have in all of those battles is your voice. Stay with us. More with Jen Hamaker of Oregon Natural Resources pushing back against the state right after this. And welcome back. This is the iSpy Radio Show. It is show 1408. If you're going to end up looking for that on our webpage, which is iSpyRadio.com. We have two guests today. Coming up, we'll be talking with Representative Ed Deal. But right now, we're talking with Jennifer Hamaker. She is the president of Onry. That's Oregon Natural Resource Industries. You can visit them at onri.us. That's onri.us. And that'll be in the show notes page, uh, show notes section on today's webpage. Again, that's 1408. And support them if you can. They can use all the help that you can give them as they fight for you in Oregon's natural resource industries. So the last time that we had talked was in early December. And at that time, those of us on the common sense side of natural resources, we were beginning to feel like things were sort of on the upswing, including some wins for common sense. And perhaps chief among them was that the Elliott State Forest Research Plan, which has been they've been scheming about this for, I think, since 2017, uh, suddenly got sidetracked uh, just as they were getting ready to implement it. And I personally think that it was due to the public outcries that you guys at Onry helped muster against the Habitat Conservation Plan that is going to take forests offline for 70 years. And the reason I think that is because the president of OSU cited that public outcry against HCP. And we'll talk about the Elliott and HCP in more detail coming up later. But when we last talked, it also felt like we were starting to make some headway against the wind farms plan for Oregon's uh, offshore there. And then this week, Boehm suddenly announced people's opinions no longer mattered effectively. So let's start with those offshore wind farms. What's the current status of those, and, and, and where do things lie? Yes, yeah, so Boehm uh, recently, uh, surprisingly, we did not anticipate it happening this fast, uh, released a statement saying that they have approved the, they're called WEAs, it's the wind energy areas off of Brookings and off of uh, Coos Bay, and that they are, they're, right now they're accepting public testimony in um, uh, response to that. Um, and so I will, maybe we could put something up on your website also sure. that, that people could go. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you can also go to Henri, uh, Henri.us 
um, or stronger uh, OregonStrongerTogether.com, and there also is a link on both of those websites that you can go. Or you could just put in Boehm, Oregon, go to the activities, and it'll tell you exactly how to get up there and uh, and, and deliver your comments. Um, but they are, the areas are going to be just short of 200,000 acres. The wind turbines are uh, 1,171 feet above the water, and they are, um, which is twice as tall as the Statue of Liberty. Hmm. The the actual blades that they have are as long as a football field, um, and they're not biodegradable. They're not, you know, uh, recyclable, um, and they're going to be tethered to the bottom of our ocean. And if you know anything about the, you know, uh, topography underneath Oregon's ocean, right off our our shoreline, it goes, it it drops dramatically, yes. uh, very fast. Yeah, it's not at all uh, like the have, East Coast that has this very gentle slope yeah. that will go out for dozens of miles before it really starts to get very deep. Yeah, exactly. So they're going to be tethering these gigantic floating wind turbines um, on all four sides and then two in the middle, so six huge gigantic cables down four thousand feet into the water. And drilling holes all over in the Cascadia subduction, which is a plate that slips underneath the world's second largest tectonic plate, the North uh, 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 the North American plate. Um, and they're going to be putting holes all over in that, if you can picture Swiss cheese, uh, to tether these gigantic floating monstrosities that are going to be pug- tugging and pulling on it uh, with the waves going through. And so... We've been you, being you know, warned. this whole thing just sounds like a disaster. They're drilling holes into a, a known fault line, effectively. Um, yep. Why? And, and of course, everybody knows that the Pacific Ocean is very gentle and calm. It never has any storms whatsoever. <laughs> uh, so, right. of course, floating giant windmills out there is, is a really great idea. Has anyone ever explained to you why they have to be floating? Why not just have them much closer to shore where they don't have to use thousands, literally thousands of miles of cables why not just have them either just offshore or right onshore in, in some areas that would, you know, there, there are plenty of areas in the south there that don't have a whole bunch of traffic. But I mean, it just seems like there are better ways to do this. Why do they have to be floating? Uh, because of, well, the reason why they've chosen the ones that they are going to put on the Oregon coast or they're trying to put on the Oregon coast is because of the uh, extreme depth that they have to drill them into. So they have to put these big, huge monstrosities out there. Second of all, um, which is, this is kind of a positive thing. The, the fishing fleet, uh, the seafood processors, the, uh, um, fisheries have pushed back so much because they, they've seen what has happened on the East Coast and down in California with the fishing industry, industry, the currents that are coming up from Mexico, the currents that are coming down from Alaska, um, all of these different things, the, the fish migrations, all that kind of stuff. Um, they've pushed back so much and, and given so much information to BOEM that BOEM has pushed the offshore wind um, call areas, the, the, the WEAs, out uh, to 18 miles off the shore uh, to 38 miles. Yeah, yeah but, um, but why do they have to have them offshore at all? Why not just either barely offshore or right there onshore? Yes, okay. So Biden, Biden administration is um, uh, in the Green Deal, wants to uh, make... 20 or sorry 30 gigawatts of offshore wind energy by 2030 so um that's the big push for the federal agency the bureau of ocean energy management boem um to 
to use the coast of Oregon to, to uh, produce some of that. Um, the sum of that would be 2.6 gigawatts annually. And just for reference, the city of uh, Coos Bay um, takes, uses 10.6 gigawatts annually just yeah. for Coos yeah. Bay. So this is going to make much of a dent in anything. I mean, so if yeah. I'm hearing you correctly, it's all because they've come up with a plan and now that has to be pushed in because it's got to meet that plan rather than doing something that makes sense. Uh, they're going to force yeah. this in, instead. Yes. Okay. Well, this Correct. totally sounds like a plan that somebody with dementia would come up with. So now it makes more sense. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. <Yes. laughs> so when, when Bohm announced that uh, they were essentially going to say, um, uh, you know, we're up against the clock here. Let's go ahead and take a break here. We'll continue with Jennifer Hamaker of Honorary. That's Oregon Natural Resource Industries. Talking about those wind farms. Stay with us. We're talking natural resources today and the importance of standing up and letting your voice be heard. And we're doing that with Jennifer Hamaker. She is the president of Honorary. That's Oregon Natural Resource Industries. They're out there fighting to protect natural resource industries. You can find out more by heading to onri.us. That's onri.us. And we'll link that up on today's show page, 1408. And then up next, Representative Ed Deal to talk about free speech and the weapons government is employing to censor your free speech. We'll be talking about what he uncovered regarding Oregon's Elections Division Censorship Program. Stay tuned for that. And uh, so, Jen, we were talking about these windmills and uh, Bohm's decision here to, to kind of push through uh, all of this. I mean, I, I'm sure it surprised you as much as us uh, when they just suddenly announced they're going to uh, push forward. Have you heard any justification as to why they are plowing ahead public meeting laws and all the rest be damned? No, I have not. Um, like I said, this is... This is, was a surprise that they did this this soon. I talked to uh, several legislators, um, especially in the Co Coastal Caucus, which are the representatives and senators up and down the coastline, and um, they were surprised as well. Although they've been fighting tooth and nail against the uh, wind farms, Bohm's wind farms, um, and they're actually, I think today, they're coming out with their um, second letter to Boehm, um, because right now is in... Uh, is, uh, 30-day time period that we can submit public comment, and their, their public comment um, is going to be opposing these wind uh, energy areas as well. Um, and then also, they're also going to be talking about uh, the fact that Boehm has held three uh, listening sessions, three public meetings, and there was no listening. There was just telling. Mm. They told us what they were going to do. Uh, when we asked questions, they went unanswered um, and ignored. And so the public process is like just checking off the box. They're doing what they have to do, but they're not uh, engaging with um, elected yeah. officials. They're not engaging with, with yeah. the public. Yeah, you know, I'm not even sure that that's legal. I think they, when they have these public meetings, they have to show support from the public to do these types of things. And so, you know, I could be wrong on that, but when we have fought these kinds of battles in other areas over other issues, that tends to be the rule, is that they have to be able to demonstrate public support for what it is that they're trying to do. So I, I would not be surprised if there's lawsuits coming uh, and, and much more. But anyway, I want to move on to the Elliott because this was clearly a win for public outcry. The state has been trying to turn the Elliott State Forest, Oregon's first and oldest state forest, into a research forest since 2017. You know, I, I think about that, and I wonder what the people that were originally involved with setting up that first state forest, what would they think 
if they knew where this was all going to end up. Oh, yeah, let's totally take it offline and let it sit there. I, I imagine their response would have been, are you crazy? Uh, and they probably would have made laws, even stronger laws than they have now to prevent that from ever happening. I mean, that they, they must be rolling over in their graves there. They must be rolling over their graves. Uh, I know that us that are still living are fighting very hard to try to return the Elliot back to um, uh, Oregon Department of Forestry to manage um, so that at least there is some kind of management on the Elliot. Um, we have a couple different plans that are in place. One of them is the easy plan. I know you've talked to uh, Dr. Bob Zyback mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. And um, that is a very viable alternative. Um, and then also we are um, questioning the decoupling of the Elliot from the Common School Fund, and the public doesn't know this very, uh, very well, is that there was when, when H or SB 1546, which was a bill that decoupled the Elliot from the Common School Fund, it put it into uh, OSU's hands to manage, and it also took $221 million from Oregon taxpayers to basically buy back their own land um, so that they could decouple it. Uh, and we want to make sure that the Elliot is a working forest. Um, and so what we've proposed is dividing it into two. Let's do, if you want to do a research yes. in, uh, forest on it, let's divide it into two. Let's, let's research HCPs, habitat conservation areas, which basically shut down the forest um, and allow them to grow and, you know, accumulate fuels and, you know, and then the other half of the forest, let's do active forest management where we are harvesting on a sustainable yield and, um, and, and see and compare the two in the end of 20 years. Yes. Let's I, see how I, economic, vi- environmental, um, and then the recreation uh, aspects of the greatest permanent value, um, those to be explored and, and uh, you know, the test results uh, be compared as well as the the listed species and what their populations are doing. Yes. What we believe we're going to see is that the species populations are going to be about the same uh, in both, uh, and that we're going to also see that the connection between human and environment will be strengthened, the mm-hmm. connection between timber and um, the uh uh, communities will be enhanced because sure. of the revenue. Yeah, well, um, you know, I, 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 if it's okay with you, I'd like to post your letter on on this week's show page because I thought it was brilliant. Is let's set up the two plans and at the end of twenty years, let's see which forest is doing better, and that will inform future generations as to which approach that it takes. So, I really thought that was great. And um, just to touch on that a little bit further is that um, Dr. Bob Zyback had said that there was a legislative committee hearing on Monday, February nineteenth, and in response to that. Uh, he wrote to some of us and said, it does appear as if things might be crumbling for the environmental lobby that was that has created the Elliott State Research Force, and that now might be the best time in many years to make our voices heard. And I think that's really the key thing there, is that people, right. you know, we've got a little bit of headway. It does not mean you stop firing. Just because the other side may have stopped firing, it probably means they're reloading. And so that's why we have to keep on this, and so people right. can submit yeah, uh, keep the pressure on, keep submitting their testimony and, and all the rest. And so uh, I would encourage people to do that, and we'll have links for, for people to do that on this week's show page. In the time that we have left with you, I, I know something else that you're working on is trying to get some signatures and possibly get a class action lawsuit against the Private Force Accord. So explain to us what's going on there. So the Private Force Accord was basically an MOU that was created by uh, Kate Brown 
back in 2019. It was uh, 13 environmental uh, groups and 13 timberland companies signed it. And it was basically to, to negotiate on aerial spray and riparian buffers. Fast forward to 2022, under a supermajority, they passed uh, the Private Forest Accord, which was made up of three different bills. Within those bills, basically, uh, it puts an HCP on private timberland. The people, there's 60,000 timberland owners in Oregon. The people that are going to be impacted by that um, most is are the, the small track timberland owners. So. Uh, 5,000 acres or less. And basically these people have had their, their generational investments, their, their uh, trees, their forests taken from them. They can't use them. They they can't harvest them. They can't manage them. They can't do anything. Um, Plus federal and and state has access to those lands now to do assessments on them whenever they want. Uh, So we are wanting to fight that in a court of law. And we want to put, we want to see how many people out there are interested in joining a class action lawsuit against the state of Oregon because of the private force accord. Because in the U.S. Constitution and our state bill of rights, it says that you, the government cannot take property, private property without compensation. Right. These forest owners are not being compensated. Hmm. Well, we will make sure that uh, we'll have some links up on today's show page. Again, it is 14.08.08. And we'll make sure that we have links to both of your organizations up there, both Henri as well as Oregon Stronger Together. That way people can get a hold of you uh, if they want to join in on that. Jenna, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. I'd like to welcome Ed Deal to the show. Ed is the representative from Oregon's House District 17, which was the district I used to live in. HD 17 takes up the good parts of Marion County. That's east of Salem and the northern bits of Lynn County. Ed, it's great to have you. Thanks for joining us today. Great to be with you, Mark. Yeah, so you're a new guest to us and to our audience. Your background is as a businessman and entrepreneur, but prior to 2022, you'd never run for public office. So tell our audience a bit about your background and why you chose to run. Well, I had a momentary lapse of reason. <laughs> Um, but yeah i'm I'm an engineer by degree so i have a bachelor's and master's in mechanical engineering and uh moved to oregon i met my wife in college we both moved to oregon she grew up in sio Hmm. so we, we ended up back here and i started a after a few years here i started a business based in albany called concept systems and we did factory automation and controls and i built that up with my partners and sold that about five years ago, sold my interest to them. And the business is still going strong. And during that time, I raised, we raised our two kids and uh, built a great life. And we were enjoying retirement for a while. And a couple things happened. We had uh, COVID and really our, our state's response to COVID with uh, the school lockdowns, or, you know, closures and business closures and termination of people yeah, because they wouldn't get vaccinated. And then to top that off, we had the Liberty wildfires come raging down the Senium Canyon, which is where I live, out in that area. And a fire that devastated 700 homes and killed several people, that didn't have to happen. I looked at the, the devastation that fire caused that was really due in large part to decisions that our leaders made. And I looked at the decisions that our leaders made to shut down our schools, 
and our businesses. And I thought, I can do better. I can make better decisions than this. Mm. And it's something I thought about for on and off. And uh, when they did the redistricting, there was an opportunity there mm. to, to take a district that was unclaimed. And uh, my wife and I prayed on it. We said, let's, let's try this. If I don't try it, I'll regret it. So we went for it, and, and we won. Well, cool. Um, I, I'm so glad to see people step up. We need uh, more people to step up. And, and uh, when there's opportunities, I, I certainly hope that they will do that at whatever level of government. So you had caught our attention last month when you managed to get a hold of hundreds of documents through a public records request from the Secretary of State about their MDM program. This is their uh, means to monitor free speech and censor it as well, although they claim that that's not what they're doing. Uh, but you had passed those documents on to the Daily Caller, and they were uh, did a great write-up of that. And, you know, I, I really think that this really boils down to they want to censor free speech, uh, especially about the elections, because uh, they get to decide what amounts to uh, miss, dis, or mail information. That's the MDM there. And full disclosure, I am one of the co-plaintiffs uh, in the case that is trying to sue the uh, state to stop that. You're not a plaintiff, but what got your interest peaked to go look into it? Well, this was brought to my attention from somebody I connected with on on social media. And uh, so I wasn't even aware of the contract. And <clears throat> once I dug into it and I read, I read the scope of work and the RFQ, and I was shocked. I, I couldn't believe it. Hmm. That we had a government agency, you know, contracting with a pi- private party to use AI to scour our social media, our, our social communications, uh, tag, you know, I, identify what they deemed as mis, dis, or malinformation, tag it with a threat level, and then develop counter narratives around that. And you know, if that wasn't bad enough, they wanted to, they Actually, in the RFP, it says we will reach out if we feel the terms of service have been violated. We will reach out to the social media companies uh, and inform them of that post. Well, what's the intent there? It's obviously the intent is to get our post taken down. Right, right. Yeah. And so I, I, I just saw it as a clear violation of our constitutional rights and something that if Oregonians knew about, they would rightly be upset about it. Well, representatives can sometimes get access to things a lot faster than uh, members of the media or certainly members of the general public. Uh, and, and so you're able to get those rather quickly. What did you ask for and what kinds of documents did you get? Yeah, so they were very responsive to me uh, with my public records, as I think they're required to be. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked them for all the reports. So what I learned is that this contract, at the time I did this, the contract I was investigating had not been let yet. Right. But they had done a pilot project the year before. Right, with, and that was that was the kind of the new secret. I, I don't think at the time that we had initially looked at that, nobody knew about that 2022 contract. No, we didn't know about that either. And uh, so, so I asked for all the reports that had been provided by Logically AI to the Secretary of State. And then I also asked for detailed information on <clears throat> who, um, apparently they, they'd indicated in some early correspondence, because we wrote them a letter to cease this thing, stop. And, and they indicated that there had been threats to, uh, I think, the 
candidates at the time, two gubernatorial candidates. And so I wanted information on those threats. What were they? And so that's what they provided with me, along with bid proposals, all the proposal documents in the RF. Hmm. Okay, we are up against the clock. Uh, we'll have more with Representative Ed Deal. He's out of uh, HT17. And coming up, we're going to be talking about what he found in those documents. And welcome back. We're talking with Ed Deal. He's a businessman, entrepreneur, engineer, and the state representative from HD17. That's portions of Marion County, east of Salem, and parts of Lynn County as well. And we've been talking about the uh, Oregon Secretary of State's censorship program, rather Orwellian, to censor um, what they believe to be mis, dis, or mel information about the elections. And the Democrats in charge get to decide uh, what other people can say about Democrats and Democrat elections. So you had gotten these these records, and um, uh, did you believe that they gave you everything, or do you have reason to believe they withheld anything? Well, I think they gave me everything. There were some things in the reports that were redacted, and so I went back to them to confirm they didn't just redact those contents of the reports just for me, and no. They said when they got them from Logically AI, <clears throat> they were redacted. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it was kind of interesting if Again. So uh, let's pause there a second. That makes no sense. Um, you're doing business with somebody. You're hiring them to do a contract, and they're handing you redacted documents. How yeah. can you trust what they're telling you? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Well, what they did is they they would summarize the the threats for the week. Okay, so the or these are the narratives for the week. These are the threat levels, and these are our recommendations for counter narratives. Uh, that's what their reports would consist of. And then they would provide examples of these threats. And they would redact the, they'd show, for example, they'd show a tweet, and they would redact the, the username and the name of the tweet. Okay, that makes much more sense because I thought when you first said that, that it, it was the contract or other documentation that was being redacted. So um, as far as the documents that you received, uh, did anything in those like really alarm you? or really grab your attention? Well, the first thing I noticed was some of the documents weren't properly redacted. So some of the reports. So for example, they redacted the name, the username of a particular tweet, but then they had a link to the tweet down below it. So Whoops. I on the link. <laughs> and I wow. go, guess what? It's Lars Larson. Oh. Flagged a quote from Lars Larson as misinformation. I thought that was pretty in interesting. But what I, what I found most interesting is some of the things that they tagged as MDM were actually true. Hmm. They were not things that were, uh, you would say, as mis-dis or malinformation. Right. One, for example, was, hey, there's a lot of outside money coming into Oregon to influence the election. Well, yeah, there is. So did you not like the way it was stated? That, that, that's simply... <laughs> really? We can't yeah. let that truth out there. Oh, my gosh. So, right, right. Um, you know, as I look at what they're doing, of course, this is an attack on free speech. I mean, you cannot be out there saying that you've got this monitoring program and somehow think it's not going to affect what people are, are, are going to say. Uh, it will certainly prevent a lot of people from saying things for fear of some kind of recrimination from the state. For heaven's sakes, the state can lock you up whether or not they choose to. Uh, I mean, that is certainly always a threat there. Um, sh should Democrats really be allowed to use taxpayer dollars to obtain opposition research on their political opponents? I mean, is that really appropriate? 
No, absolutely not. It, there's nothing appropriate about this at all. And I think that, you know, I haven't looked at it that way, that they are doing it using taxpayer dollars for oppo research but you're right they are they are doing that well no, the, the, yeah well, i was ahead. gonna say uh, so much of um you know you're talking about some things that are out there that are true and i really think that some of what that article revealed i, I read it again this morning uh, in prep for the, this uh, interview and there was some orwellian doublespeak going on from uh, both the secretary of state and from logically ai and what the Secretary of State was saying is, oh, we're totally not going to censor people. This is just you know, keeping track of things. It's basically like a Google alert. And then also, um, logically, AI was saying, oh, we're totally not censoring. And in fact, they say uh, they told the Daily Caller, quote, any suggestion that we engage in censorship, surveillance, or the limiting of free speech is inaccurate and wrong. But according to that same article, logically, AI claimed in their proposal to win that 2022 contract that they could leverage their quote-unquote preferred status as a trusted entity with social media platforms, a status that appeared to grant the company the ability to submit an unlimited number of content removal requests. So which is it? And just, just to back up, the Secretary of State, as part of that RFQ, was saying they wanted to be able to remove posts. And so they're both saying, we're totally not censoring, but we're going to remove posts. That tells me that's censorship. Exactly. And we, we asked them specifically about that, and they, <clears throat> they said, well, we did submit some posts to the social media companies, but they didn't take action on them, so we quit. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And, that's, and at the um... same time, they're claiming, claiming that they're not, they have no intention of doing censorship. And so I pushed back on that hard uh, because they didn't like the way I was presenting. They didn't like my narrative, apparently. They were developing a counter-narrative. That, mm. that I claim that they were going to use this to censor. And I just look back at their past behavior. Sure. Your RP said you wanted it. You had already done it before. What's to say if the social media companies do start to act on these things that you wouldn't start sending these posts to them again? So I, I, don't, I don't buy what you're telling me. Yeah. Okay, um, this next question is going to take a bit to answer, so we're going to break a little bit early. Everyone stay with us. We'll wrap things up with Ed Deal. He's the representative from HD17. Stay with us. segment now with Ed Deal. He is uh, the representative from HD17 here in Oregon, which is uh, most of Marion County, east of Salem, and uh, all the way up into Detroit and uh, Marion Forks there, and also takes in parts of northern Lynn County. His website is eddiehl.com. That's E-D-D-I-E-H-L.com. E-D-D-I-E-H-L.com. And we'll link that up on uh, today's show page, which is 1408 on iSpyRadio.com, in case you missed that. And we've been talking about Oregon's censorship program here, this uh, MDM, uh, Miss Dis and Mail Information, and the state gets to decide what constitutes that. And I'd like to talk to you a little bit about something that I found to be really interesting in there, which was that, let's see here, uh, from the documents that you obtained, one of the things that logically AI had flagged was the Twitter files. And they flagged this as, uh, I forget exactly what level they'd flagged that to. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. But the, the point is, is they were rather upset about these Twitter files. And in a large expose in December 2022, in case people aren't aware of this, investigative journalist Matt Taibbi and others were given access to internal Twitter files. And these files demonstrated absolute collusion with government officials to censor free speech. 
using big tech to do so. And ironically and definitely hypocritically, Logically AI, a big tech company, flagged the Twitter file stories about government censorship as a worrisome trend. It's worrisome, in my opinion, only if you're guilty of it. But Oregon's MDM program seems to think that using big tech to censor stories about government censorship using big tech is the correct thing to do. I mean, <laughs> do I have that about right? Yeah, you, you can't make it up. I... <laughs> and what's interesting is we can look back in time and we know that the stuff they flagged there was a lot of true information that they flagged. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, the, it's the best evidence we have that this is a terrible idea for the Secretary of State is just, just to look at these past documents and see what they flagged. And, and uh, that something I mentioned earlier is, you know, this, this kind of thing just feeds um, misinformation. If you start stifling the truth, or you stifle free speech, you're only going to feed into conspiracy theories. Yes. Well, it, it certainly builds distrust into the system. If you're out there and you're the Democrats in charge, and so you get to decide what constitutes mis, dis, or mail information, that's going to make you look guilty of, of the same, where you're, you set yourself up as the filter for uh, what can be trusted and what can't be. People aren't going to trust you. No, they won't. And if, if you're not honest about, you know, to, to say that the, let's talk specifically about elections. There are honest questions about the integrity of our elections. It's okay to talk about those things. It's okay to investigate those things and make improvements. But to deny that there are no problems, it's the only system apparently in government that is perfect. Hmm. Uh, and they don't want you to question one thing about it. Yeah. Um, that feeds distrust. Oh, oh absolutely it does. Theories. Yep. Yeah. So with the outcry that is being raised against this, especially the more people know about this, the, the less they like it. Do you know if they plan on forging ahead and uh, doing the contract here in 2024? They are pursuing the contract. Hmm. Yeah. They are moving ahead. And <clears throat> since that time, I've learned that they're not the only agency that's using this tool. I'm, I'm digging into that uh, to find more information. Anything you can let slip now as to which agencies? You know, if you want to, I can, uh, I'd have to look it up here. Let me take a break. And uh, well, tell you what, why don't we just have you back on another time to talk about that? Uh, so, <laughs> but All right. before we leave this, I, I know that there's a couple other things I'd like to get to before we let you go, but um, they are running this major censorship program but they are managing to keep the cost below the threshold that require that would require greater public scrutiny and disclosures. Is that suspicious to you? Would you repeat that? They are doing this program at a level that does not require, uh, it's, I, I think the threshold is, I want to say $200,000. They're coming in at 190000 just under that threshold. Above $200,000, they have to put it out for, um, they have to make this more public. They have to. Uh, there's a lot more oversight when you have larger contracts like that. To me, that seemed a little dodgy and suspicious that they, that this is a major censorship program, and they're running this just below that threshold. What, is that suspicious to you? Oh yeah, they knew this would be controversial. They wanted it under the radar, and frankly, they were getting away with it. They mm -hmm. ran a pilot project. We've got, I believe, at least two other agencies <clears throat> that are using this. Mm -hmm. uh, thought they could get away with it. Wow. 
Well, um, in the time that we have left here, um, I know that we also want to talk to you about uh, some of the bad bills that are out there. And um, you had sent out a press release last week about Senate Bill 1583, which uh, you had said it was one of the worst bills out there, in your opinion, and it would dramatically curtail the rights of local school boards to control the curriculum in schools. Uh, I guess now we only have state-run schools in the best sense of Nazi states. Uh, it looked before our interview, um, or I looked before our interview, and it seemed like that bill was still active with a work session scheduled for February 22nd. So talk to us about that bill. Yeah, so that bill has passed the, uh, the I believe it's passed the Senate. It went through work session, and it was amended, and it's even worse now. Ugh. So what it does is it restricts the school board's ability to control the content of textbooks and other curriculum materials, and also what goes in the library. And they're doing it under the guise of uh, anti-discrimination. They're basically saying uh, that the amended bill says if, if you cannot prevent a book from being used in the library or, or in curriculum, if it communicates uh, a story or perceptions of someone that is in a protected class. Hmm. And so our, our concern there is, well, if this is a graphic, sexually explicit story that's communicating somebody's perceptions, uh, can I remove it? So I assume then that they would be okay since Jews, uh, you know, anti-Semitism and all that, uh, Jews are a protected class. I assume that they would be okay with an overtly Jewish book that talks about God. Well, that's a good question. And I've been pondering that myself. Uh, maybe we could actually uh, bring the Bible into schools. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Okay, yeah. unfortunately, we are up against the clock. Uh, Ed Deal, again, he's from HD17. That's Marion and Lynn Counties. His website is eddeal.com, E-D-D-I-E-H-L.com. We'll put that up on iSpyRadio.com. Today's show is 1408. Ed, I want to thank you so much for your time today. This has been great. You bet. Thanks for having me on. Take a moment to think what the Secretary of State and the Elections Department did. They launched, in secret, their free speech monitoring system in 2022. You don't keep something secret that is ethical and legal to do. You don't keep something secret that would make you look good if word got out. But you do keep something secret if people would be horrified and shocked to find out what you're doing. Think about it. If the MDM program was truly a great thing, why keep it secret? Simply announce it. Hey, we just launched a program to monitor what you say online about elections. We'll get alerts about what you say, and if we don't like it, we'll get you censored by social media companies or have Google steer people away from your website or blog. Well, yeah, people would be horrified if you announced that. That's how you know it's wrong, and they knew it too, which is why it stayed secret. Remember, don't stay silent, because as we say every week, the best information does you no good if you don't use it. Reagan, what do you think? I do not believe in a faith that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. It's more than a show. It's self-defense. The I Spy Radio Show.